I really love the idea of being an outdoorsman. All right? I love the idea of it. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I love all the gear. Okay? Check this bad boy out. Okay? You like this? Uh-huh. I forgot to put on my buff. I can't really fit it around, so I'll just survivor it around my wrist here. You need a buff. I got my bag. I like the whole vibe. I like the, the, the feel of wearing all this equipment, right? I know I'm prepared. I got a whistle on my bag, if you want to see it. I got my walking stick, okay? I love the idea of being an outdoorsman. So much that uh, I, I read up on it. Uh, I've read articles, survival skills, you know, this intense like bushcrafting stuff. I've been watching YouTube lately of this guy. I forget his name. I have it written down. It's amazing. His, his big thing is he goes into the wilderness to like survive and do all these incredible things using only a modest Swiss army knife, right? Like 20 bucks, like every Cub Scout gets one of these to learn how to use these safely, right? And he uses that. And I love the idea of going on these, you know, super, super long hikes with nothing but things on your back in the wilderness to survive. As long as I can find a spot on the ground as comfortable as my bed. I really, really love the idea of, of hiking these long, long, long miles. You know, if my muscles weren't pretty small and I didn't have back problems. <laughs> I love the idea of it. I love all this stuff. I, 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 so I read about it. I, I, I think about it. I know people that are into it. I even got, look, check this out. These socks have a mountainscape on it. You see that? A little sunset going on. Yeah, I don't have my hiking shoes on today, but you can imagine. I love all this stuff. When I have all this gear on, I feel even like I'm outdoorsy. So I know about it because I'm learning about it. And now I feel like it because look, I mean, look at me. I look, I told Meg, I, I feel like I dressed to work at a national park today or something or, or give a tour on the campus of Michigan State. I'm not sure. But all that to say, even though I know a lot and I kind of feel like I'm outdoorsy, does that make me an outdoorsman? No. I mean, I look it, right? No, because it's not just what we know. It's not just what we feel even deep down. It's about how we live it out. You're starting to see where we're going. We've been talking about worship during this series. I'm going to shed some pounds here. Oh, man. Here we go. Oh, boy. See, clearly I'm not an outdoorsman. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. Yep. We're there. Ah, we've been learning all about worship. The what of it, the why of it, how it is our call to live it out every day of our lives. We, I know you want me to keep this hat on, but I'm taking it off. I'm sorry. How the secret sauce of worship is our full surrender to offer ourselves truly, fully, and completely to our Almighty God. We've talked about how, what it means to worship in spirit and in truth, how we have to know God, like, uh, intimately as we know a spouse or a close friend, uh, to truly know God and walk with God. And also, as we know Him, we feel these things and we respond through our feeling. You see, 
worship, it's all-encompassing. It's all-embracing. So today is about embracing the lifestyle, a worshipful lifestyle of following Jesus. So we don't just know about it or feel like we know what we're doing, but we're actually living it out. Here again, our focus passage for the last time today. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. A living sacrifice. To live these lives with worship as our heartbeat. Being what the word holy means, it's set apart. Being a set apart people. Offering worship that is holy and pleasing. That is, after all, what it means to bear the title of Christian. We are to reflect Christ. We reflect Christ. We, we share his namesake. We're made in his very image, and we reflect Christ to the world around us. I've lost my flashlight, you know, the one I usually do, but you can imagine the bright light of Christ shining to all we encounter. We've already established throughout this series that we're called to live this life of ongoing worship, this, this life of faith. After all, it is to embrace a lifestyle of glorifying God, making his name known as we humbly follow him. But there's a problem. There's a problem within this. There's a disconnect between what we know, our head stuff, what we believe, which we feel deeply within us, in our heart, and what we do with our hands and our feet. It's a disconnect. A little proof for us in case you question that. Uh, does anyone here feel like they pray way too much? Good. Does anyone feel like they just, they just man, you really got to slow down on reading that Bible. You're reading your Bible way too much. Huh? Anybody? No? Yeah. Or you come to church way too often. I kind of feel that way. <laughs> I have an excuse. I live right there. <laughs> I like always see it, no matter where I am. Yeah. There's a disconnect between what we know, what we believe, and what we do. It's no easy life of faith that we are called to. Look at Jesus' very words from Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow. The way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
We know Jesus' way leads to life, but we also know all too well that it is hard. It is hard. The work of becoming a Christian isn't really all that hard for us. It's, it, it's the Spirit's ultimate work within us and us surrendering to him. But to walk that path of faith, that is hard. That is very challenging. We know it is challenging because Jesus says so himself. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. He says to, to another person, sell all your possessions. That's what it takes. And follow me. He says to another, let the dead bury their dead. Come, follow me. He says to his very family, who are my brothers and my sisters? Well, it's those who follow me. The gate is narrow. It is hard. And many will go the easy way. Many will go through the gate that leads toward destruction, thinking that because it's easy, it must be good. And that's the lie. We're called to the good way. The good way is the hard way. It is hard to walk that path of Christ because you will be the minority if you follow this path. You will stand out. You will not be understood by those who take that wide and easy way. You'll see them over there doing like loop-de-loops and donuts and stuff, and you're like, I just got to stay right here. There will be times when you really want to turn left or right, when seemingly everyone else you know seems to be going left or right, and the whole world is just doing what they want, when they want, how they want. And if that's not enough, there's this huge gap between what we know, what we believe, and what we do. But Jesus calls us to this hard path. So, how do we live a set-apart lifestyle? How do we go about this journey of faith, this life of worship? Consider today a pit stop at like REI, okay, along the narrow road journey. The equipment does not make the hiker. It helps. It supports. It aids. But it is nothing. We are nothing if we aren't willing to do what we've set out to do. A life of worship is the same. I, as your pastor, I'm here to guide, to support, to shepherd, to care, to love, to do my best to, to walk the same path as I help lead us along that path as we all follow Jesus together. But I cannot worship for you. I cannot give you what you need to truly worship. It has to be you being willing to take those steps. And I believe that each and every one of us desires to grow in our walk with Christ. Would you say that's true for you? You desire to grow in your walk with Christ. Every one of us does. But we also admit and acknowledge there is this gap. It can be hard to do what we want to do. We know we should make some changes during the week to better follow God. We just don't know how to go about it. Or we're even convicted on a heart level and maybe we do it for like a day or two and you're feeling really good and then something comes up, right? And we get off track. We start to drift. As we've talked about, we drift and we drift and the gap between what we know and believe widens. So pairing that reality with our call to this lifestyle of worship, through offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, how do we stop the drift and close the gap? We're going to talk about a few different things, and this is all grounded in Scripture. Some will be on the screen, some will not. I'll make sure to call out the citations to write them down in case you would like to do that. 
But the first is to acknowledge worship is a sacrifice. A life of worship is a sacrifice. If you like taking notes, you should write that one down. See, it costs. Real worship costs. That's the whole narrow versus wide road. There's a cost. David says this in 2 Samuel 24, 24. I'll not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. Yeah. I asked you last week, is our worship a handout or is it an offering pleasing to the Lord? There is a cost to live for God. We have to give some things up. Now we do so knowing and believing and trusting that the reward is far greater than anything you or I could ever imagine. But we are an instant gratification people, right? An instant gratification people with a patient and purposeful God. It can be hard to wait on the Lord. The good news and the hard news is one of the things that costs us in a life of true worship is our self-centeredness. You cannot exalt God and yourself in the same breath. Can't do it. When he is lifted high, we are naturally and rightly and humbly brought low. And this is a very good thing. This is a very healthy thing. It's a beautiful thing because in this we reflect our Savior who is and was in the highest of highs in heaven who came not only down to earth but to the cross and down to the grave. When God isn't on the throne of our lives, we try and take his place. We raise ourselves up high and we try to push God back down. Selfishness, after all, is at the heart of sin. It's what drove Lucifer to thinking him better than God. It's what drives us to choose our ways over God's ways. True worship comes with a cost. It costs, but friends, think about this. The best steak you'll ever eat in your life is going to cost right? The best food, the best shoes, the best whatever, it's gonna cost. The best things in life come with a cost. And as Christ followers, we are called to pay that cost to worship, to embrace it, to embrace the sacrifice, to embrace the narrow path, for it alone leads to life. I think we sometimes forget the stakes, I am so guilty of this. We are so comfortable in this day and age. And we may talk about Christianity as being persecuted now, and I believe it is. Yeah, it is. Not like the early church, but it is. But I wonder how that will awaken us up in the faith. Because not long after this narrow and wide road teaching, Jesus said, some will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, I do not know you. And that should cause us to pause. The stakes are high. There is a war going on for your very soul. The cost is worth it. The cost is worth it. Cost is worth it. So what things in your life are you holding back from God? What are you holding on to you need to surrender and let go of again? It might be one thing. It might be like 37 things. It might be 200. It probably is somewhere in that for all of us, right? It's a lot. What do you need to sacrifice 
for it is impeding your ability to worship the Lord more fully in your day-to-day life. It's 168 hours in a week. If we worship only one out of those 168, we're in trouble. You sleep, okay, about eight hours a night, that's 56 hours out, 112 hours left. You worship only one hour out of that, you're in trouble. Say you work or you go to school, that's another 40 hours a week. There's 72 hours left. One hour a week out of 72, we're in trouble. We are called to a life of worship, a life of worship. I'm willing to bet each of us has something we need to give up to create an appropriate margin in our lives to better walk this narrow path. So what is that one thing for you? It may cost, but God will bless you in your sacrifice. And it leads to our next one. How, how do we live this life of worship if it's going to cost? You can write this one down. We plan. Some of us are like, yes, give me a book, a notebook, and I'm going to make a list. I see you, Stephanie. Think about this. Seriously, what's your spiritual growth plan? Do you have a plan? Do you have things in place for how to actually walk more in step with Christ? I mean, if if growth comes by and through the Spirit, through us submitting to the Spirit, how are we posturing ourselves to do that regularly? We plan for the most important things in our lives. If you graduate, you plan a party, and then you plan your next steps. You get engaged, you plan the wedding right? If you're, you're, you're going to have kids, you plan to go into debt and lose sleep for the rest of your days. <laughs> you go on vacation, you plan. You want to retire, you make a plan. Your kids, that you're in debt and losing sleep, but you love them dearly, but they happen to be driving you crazy, you call up your parents to make a plan for them to come and save you. We plan for the most important events in our lives. But when it comes to the most important thing in our life, we just kind of don't plan. (laughs) We just kind of do what we can, do the best we can, which is good, called to do the best we can. But what does it look like to set that apart and truly have a plan in place that we safeguard and we protect so that we might expectantly approach the throne of God on the regular? Jesus says in Matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. In other words, that's your top priority. That's what matters most. Everything else in your life falls in line after that. That's the mother duck, okay, of the chain of ducks walking. It's a weird picture. I don't know why I went there, but it's a good one. It helps me. It's the chief thing, the top priority. Jesus had a plan. He would retreat regularly to be in communion with God in solitude. He would also pray and teach with his disciples. He would also be out in the masses amongst the people, teaching, praying, and worshiping with them. He would also feast and fellowship with others, sometimes his friends, sometimes outsiders, oftentimes together. He was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. He would touch the lepers. He had a plan for how he would do these things and how he was going to bring glory to God. He also taught his disciples everything and gave them their plan to go and make disciples, our very plan that we have. 
It's a top priority. Kerry Newhoff, he's a pastor, he once said this, no one will ever ask you to complete your top priority. Isn't that true in life? Imagine your job, okay? Imagine your workplace. You have a primary role. And if you're just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to, I'll get to this. Like, no one's going to come into my office during the middle of the week. Kevin, you need to write your message. Oh, right, I should do that. Or whatever it is. You are in charge of safeguarding and protecting your top priority and making sure it happens. So how might you plan to worship God throughout your day? How might you plan to regularly glorify God, to set it apart and safeguard it? For there's nothing more important. But we also know a plan is only as good as our follow-through, right? A plan is only as good with our follow-through. So we want to start small, but we want to start now, and we want to focus on progress over perfection. But the primary thing about making a plan is we need to be consistent. There's some marathon runners in this place. You don't just get up and decide to run a marathon. You consistently train. You don't sporadically train. That's not going to work. Consistently train. Another pastor, Craig Rochelle, says it. It's a little more businessy, so I'll give you the more disciple-focused one in a second. But successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. You want to grow? Successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. It's his term he uses for discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long, enduring, and lasting obedience, just submitting to God and his will and his ways, in the same direction. Not going left or right, not going on that wide road. Life that is the life of a disciple. I've had people come to me before and just say, Kevin, I just don't feel that close to God. I just don't, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of stalled. I don't feel like it's that lively. And so I, I, the questions I like to ask is, how's your prayer life? Are you engaging with his word regularly? Are you, are you weekly engaging with others in Christ's community? If you're not doing any of those things, those are the things you start with. Those are our foundation elements in our life. For as Jesus says, John 15, remain in me. Remain. Remain. Bask. Stay here for a while. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Then he says this, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He calls us to be fruitful. Bearing fruit is to bring God glory, and to bring God glory is to worship him. You know the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness? Did I miss gentleness? Self-control? Did I miss one? That's it, right? I went out of weird order. Yeah, those are the fruits of the Spirit. So not only when we remain in Jesus, where we are consistently walking with him, returning to him, abiding in his love, staying close to that that gives us life, even in seasons of pruning, even in seasons of growth, 
we will bear fruit. He will produce a fruit within us. And that fruit of the Spirit then moves us. The consistency moves us from having good intentions to living with intentionality. We all have a lot of good intentions, right? And we often fall short. But to live with intentionality, that's the good stuff. Look at the things that Scripture calls us to do consistently. These consistent things. In one passage, Paul really, he just like, boom, three verses. Pray continually, be thankful in all circumstances, and be joyful always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Pray continually, be thankful in all circumstances, be joyful always, he says. A consistency, a consistency to these things. Jesus also teaches us in Matthew 6 to not worry. And then as the psalmist says, we cast our cares on him because he will sustain us. As I said before, none of us are going to be perfect. We're seeking those small acts of faithfulness done daily lead to the huge spiritual growth over time. That's what we long for, the consistency within this. And as he just said, to remain in his love. Paul also says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. In fact, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, which is Paul's way of saying there are things that are excellent and praiseworthy, here they are, think about such things. We meditate on the goodness of God. We reflect on the goodness of God. We might not be able to set aside an hour in the middle of our work day to stop to worship God in that way, but we can ruminate over his word that is already embedding itself within us because we've been spending intentional time in his word. And when we are doing the dishes, we could do that work, or we could also listen to worship music, or we could be praying to God to cleanse us as we cleanse these dishes and things of that nature. There are ways to embody this consistent lifestyle of worship. In fact, Jesus even models this for us when he establishes his sacrament, the Lord's Supper. You know what he says here. He says, the Lord Jesus, this is Paul's recount of what Jesus did. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And then what does he say? Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup's the new covenant in my blood. Do this, when does he say? Whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus took the ordinary and made it extraordinary. We invite Jesus around the table. We practice these faith practices that allow us to daily and regularly remember him And then we live out our faith and response. Consistency leads to rhythms, as Jesus established here. And rhythms leads to forming new habits. In fact, that's our hope, that worship becomes our ongoing habit. I have a book that Meg and I are slowly going through. Each young family here is going to get a copy. If you're not a young family but you want it, it's all about establishing God-centered habits within your family, how to disciple them with healthy rhythms. Um, We're giving you all a copy. But I want you to hear this quote. Our habits are what unite our head and our heart. 
That sounds familiar. Our heart doesn't always follow our heads. If they did, we would never need to practice what we learn. We must learn the right thing, which takes concentration and thinking, and we must practice the right thing, which takes formation and repetition. Habits align our head and our hearts so we don't just know the right thing to do, we also love doing the right thing. Habits in the beginning, new ones, healthy ones, are hard in the beginning until you keep putting in the reps. Our heart, in fact, will follow our habit. We ask God for wisdom and power to find out what works for us, and then we work at it as a habit to encounter him throughout the day. I have a big list of different things you can do to how to create these habits, but it's not a one-size-fits-all. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some ideas, some take-home for you in our weekly email this week that I want you to ponder and practice and see what sticks. I'll share just one of them that is a newer one for me. Um, Anyone feel guilty because you don't pray for your family or your spouse enough? It's okay. You don't have to raise your hand, but yeah, thanks, Meg. Did you raise your hand? Because I'm raising my hand too. That's what I'm saying. I'm your pastor and I find it's sometimes hard to pray for those closest to me. I pray for all of you. I pray for what's going on here and then I'll, I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up the next day and I'm like, did I pray for my wife? Did I pray for my kid? God forgive me. But I found I didn't have a healthy habit of doing that. So I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get into the stream to do it regularly and appropriately. The desire's there. The knowledge is there. The action wasn't there. So what I've been doing lately is I, I get to bed last out of everyone in the family. Meg's usually settling into bed, and our, our bedroom's on the main floor right now, so I walk upstairs to our main bathroom, and I go up there, and I brush my teeth, and I'm usually listening to like podcasts or books or messages and that kind of thing or worship music. And then I finish brushing my teeth, I take my earbuds out, and I go outside, and there's the three rooms where our three children are sleeping in their bed. I just stand by each door, just put my hand on their door frame, and I say a prayer over them, specific to what's going on in their life, what's going on, for looking ahead for God to protect them, for them to know him, to know that they are loved by God and belong to him. And I go to each child, and I do that. And then as I walk and I turn my attention for my kids, I walk down those stairs and down the hallway and around. And as I'm doing that, I'm praying for my wife. As I'm walking toward her, in the bedroom, and I'm praying specifically for her. Before, that was empty time. I don't know, I would listen to whatever, and I would just go downstairs, and I go to bed, and sometimes try to pray in that space and fall asleep, or just get distracted or whatever. This habit, for me, has stuck like a really strong glue, and I haven't missed a day since I started this. And so I'm just saying, that may work for you, it may not work for you, but there is something that will work for you. Find what works and stick with it. I don't exercise. I know I should. My doctor tells me I need to find the exercise. My doctor and my counselor say I need to find my exercise that I enjoy, that doesn't feel like exercise. I haven't found it yet. Okay, I haven't. Someday I will. Running's not my thing. I know for Sarah, it's running, and she feels alive and engaged and energetic and even helps connect her to her Savior when she's running. Praise God. That's not just exercise. That's a joy for her. Our faith formation ought to be a joy. Find those rhythms, those disciplines that work. And even if you don't think they do, 
still seek to be disciplined, spiritually disciplined. Disciple and discipline come from the very same root. And that's all about the plan, the intentionality, the consistency, being disciplined to walk on this narrow road, to pursue that which matters most, to not focus on the goal, but just our next step here and now. You're not successful when you reach your goal. We're successful when we honor God today. So let's start there. This path is hard, but boy, it leads to life. And there are joys on the journey. And as we walk upon this road throughout our lives, we're not without hope. Oh no. We're not without joy. We're not without peace. We're not alone. For on this path, our Savior, He walks with us. He walks beside us as our friend. He walks behind us as our protector. He walks ahead of us as our guide. He lives within us as our very power and beneath us as our firm foundation. He will not let our foot slip. He will not let us stumble. He will guide us. He lives within us. He is our power to let us be people fully devoted. Not just part-time worshipers, but worship full as we surrender to the one who walks with us upon this narrow road that leads to life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we long to give you all our worship, all our praise, to raise you up fully and completely. Help us do that, Lord. Help us, God. Through your Spirit, convict us. But don't leave us in that place of conviction, but encourage us and inspire us toward your path that you have set in store for us. Even now, God, we just pause to ask to you, illuminate what is not the whole journey, but our very next step on this faith. We long to step toward you. Reveal to us the next step, how we can plan, how we can be more disciplined, and how we can embrace the grace for the journey, because we are not perfect, but you are. We thank you, Lord. We pray that we may be a living sacrifice. We pray that our act of worship will be holy and pleasing to you. We pray that we will be an appropriate vessel for your very spirit that dwells within us and works in and through us. So do what only you can do, Lord. We thank you, God, and we love you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.